everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on the third episode of Jerry Talks. I'm honored today, um, and I'm always, you know, super grateful uh, to our guests. But I'm honored today to have Kevin Mutiso uh, and Modoni Mutongi as my guests. Uh, Kevin is the definition of an entrepreneur. Um, he's not only the chairman of the Digital Lenders Association, uh, he also manages Alternative Circle Technologies, uh, which is a fintech, um, an entrepreneur business. Um, he also has a supermarket, Grab and Go, in Embakasi. Uh, he's doing it all and um, is not only a friend, but is well known in um, the fintech industry in Kenya. Uh, Modoni is... Uh, well, really, I look up to Modoni. Um, we did uh, the Women in Leadership seminar together. Is it a seminar? Is it a program? Mm. <laughs> Training. Training, yeah. Training. We trained together uh, at the Strathmore Women in Leadership course. Um, she's a banker by definition, but is now head of research, IT, and innovation for Equity Bank. Uh, she's going to tell us so much more about herself, uh, but uh, she's a woman who is really leading the way in terms of fintech in this um in, in Kenya. So as you may have guessed, this episode is about fintech and what it means to Kenyan businesses, what it's all about and how we can best um, as lawyers um, make use of it and make sure that we are um, understanding where the future is headed in terms of this industry. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. We usually start off with three quick fire questions, um, or four quick fire, quick fire questions for each of you. And so I'll start with you, Kevin. Um, you come from a family of lawyers, but you dis- decided that law is not for you. Why? Uh, What's wrong with us? Many things. Uh, yeah. So growing up in the in a family of lawyers is a very unique experience because you you come up debating things, um, and everything's an argument. Um, and as a result, I think I, it was it was a question of I don't want to work for dad. I don't want to work for my uncles. I wanted to be my own man um, and sort of win an argument <laughs> on your in your own in terms. My own, my own terms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you wrote in Medium.com uh, about your grandmother passing away during the COVID pandemic. Um, you explained something about what a seventh generation experience is. What does that mean to you? What does it mean? So the seventh generation is an interesting concept. For those that do not know what it is, it's basically whenever you're making a decision that is important for your family, for your business, for your product, you have to ask yourself, who do you represent seven generations from you? Yeah. Um, and how will it impact them, you know, if you make this decision in a certain way. Um, So for me, um, I have dedicated my life to entrepreneurship. My goal in life is to positively impact a billion people um, through my entrepreneurial pursuits. So um, anything I do um, is what will make, you know, the person who's an entrepreneur seven generations from now, what will make their lives a little bit easier? What will they not have to do because we sorted it out no, now? No. That's that's a beautiful concept um, and I really appreciate that. Um, you also run two hashtags uh, that I really want to understand. One is disrupt an industry before you sleep and the second one is generation hope. Um, for lack of a better word, these are all very sensitive sentimental and aspirational. Um, what does that what does that mean to you? What does it mean for how you want your 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 legacy as a businessman to be um, left in, in, in Kenya or in the world in general? 
Um, I don't really think about legacy. I think I'm a little bit too young for that. Um, <laughs> but in terms of what do the hashtags mean? Kenya is going through a very interesting time. We're having a conversation as a society as for as to what do we stand for. Um, Generation Hope comes from that talk I had with my grandmother, um, and part of the in, you know introspection or the reflection that I was having was, um, I think a lot of our politicians are right in saying that Kenya has two Kenyas, um, but I think the two Kenyas are completely misrepresented. I think the two Kenyans that exist are they're Kenyans and then they're tribalists. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is a Kenyan? A Kenyan is somebody who identifies themselves as a Kenyan first. And I think that our generation, those of us who are born between 1980 moving forward, are very have a very unique millennials. Life. Yes, millennials. <laughs> um, though millennial is a very sort of Western term, you know, we're a young nation. You know, we didn't grow up in the U.S. We didn't grow up in um, Western culture, but we have elements of it here. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I think that the Kenyan who exists uh, uh, as an opposing to the tribalist has a lot of potential to disrupt industries we can build whatever we can imagine we can you know we are part of that group of kenyans who are going to build the the hollywood of tomorrow the facebooks and instagrams of tomorrow um specifically designed for the african youth right no one's going to come and design instagram uh, from uh, Europe and make it nuanced well enough for, say, a Ghanaian or for Zimbabwean or for a Kenyan. It's going to be us. And I think Kenyans are lucky because we sit in a country that has you know, a great constitution. Uh, to, when you say, what does it mean to be Kenyan anywhere? It means we're excellent. You know, we've, we've got runners. We, yeah. we even <laughs> have an American president. Yeah. You know? So I just feel like those that's what those two mean so generation hope is the kenyan millennial and then disrupt an industry before you sleep is mm-hmm. what we can do mm-hmm. as kenyan millennials. actually I, I i like it a lot and i just want to f- uh, ask a follow-up question because a lot of um nigerians and Ghanaians and west africans in general are pushing their own agenda very very um strongly uh, and representing africa outside of africa very well do you think kenyans are doing enough i think kenyans can do more. I think we need to be more confident in our ability. There's something we are very shy of, you know, sort of screaming about our uh, wins. We're very shy about talking about what we're good at. My Our uh, co-guest today was telling us about a beautiful website she has been working on. Yeah, and she'll tell us more. But she doesn't want, you know, she initially didn't want to, you know, speak about it, yet it's such a beautiful and impactful thing. Yeah. And I feel like if more Kenyans got that little bit of confidence to know confidence to know that don't care about what people think yeah uh, make your impact, you know, it'll take someone or something a little bit ahead. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's the objective. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, completely understood and and I'm with you on that 100%. Let's turn now to Madoni. Uh, Madoni, if I look up the word banker, I'm sure you're the definition of it. You've worked at most of the Kenyan banks in Kenya. You've worked at Sanchot, International Bank, you've worked at National Bank, and now you're at Equity. Um, what attracted you to banking and why did you think I'm going to be a banker one day? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, Jerry, actually, I did not think I would be a banker. Mm-hmm. You know how when you're a child and the adults around you are telling you about the possible careers yeah. that you might have when mm-hmm. you grow up? Mm-hmm. Some would suggest banking to me and I would think it's, it's not my thing. <laughs> it's, so I, I never really thought I would be a banker. But uh, when I did finish my university degree and I saw an opportunity to apply for the graduate trainee courses, uh, the, the graduate trainee course at Standard Chartered. Yeah. In fact, I was living in the States at the, at the time when I saw the advertisement and I applied and I got through that. It was a very rigorous interview process with a lot of written tests and verbal um, conversations mm-hmm. with interviewers, but I passed. And when I passed, I thought, okay, so do I really want to be a banker? But I, so I hesitantly did accept the job. Yeah. But when I got in, I discovered, oh, banking is actually really interesting. And I was really happy that I got in and I've had yeah. the opportunity to take on so many different roles inside banks. So I'm not stuck into one place. When I first joined the bank, I was working in trade finance. Since then, I've moved into so many different uh, areas of the bank up to where I am now, right? Yeah. In innovation mm-hmm. and research. So okay. it's been a fantastic journey and I'm looking forward to a lot more going forward. I like the fact that you've kind of hit the sweet spot because you've done banking and you understand how banks work. Yes. And now you can say that you're a digital disruptor in that you're looking for innovation in banking. Yes. Yeah, being head of innovation in banking, you're trying to find ways um, to change the banking from the traditional way that, you know, the banking whole way uh, into the modern technology. Uh, what does that mean to you now? True. I, so, Jerry, I think of myself as what I might call a purple person. I don't know. If I love that. I've that never term. heard that. Yeah. <laughs> so let me explain what a purple mm-hmm. person means. So, so if you think of it, let's let assume that the IT people speak a language called red. Okay. And the business people speak a language called blue. Okay. And so the reds don't really understand what the blues are saying. But in if you remember from your primary school, I think we were told that the red the yeah, colors when you mix, when yeah. you mix red and uh, blue you make purple okay so i'm that kind of person who i understand uh things from a business perspective and i also understand understand them from an it perspective and okay. therefore i become a purple person so fintech is purple then fintech is purple because uh, you're merging the world of finance together with technology I and like you're seeing that. what technology can do for i finance. like that i would i wonder what law and it would be what color would that <laughs> what color i hope law? that we can also be purple yeah um Madoni, you, you also run a blog, madoni.me, uh, um, and the, the, your latest article that I read was on the government's role in innovation. Yes. Um, I'm really interested in that. Both you and Kevin can answer this question. Um, is the government taking enough steps to be innovative? Uh, what do you think um, in a, the government's role in innovation is going forward? I think the government plays a really important role in uh, fostering innovation in the country and it's important that a government fosters innovation because it's you know it's imp- it's good for the citizens because if the citizens can be innovative and become entrepreneurs I like to hear about uh, Kevin's entrepreneurial story and how he's venturing into many different yeah. things and we need to create the, those opportunities for several uh, different people in the country and it's the, the government plays a really important role in creating the environment that allows myself kevin and yeah. anybody who has a great idea to pursue the idea that they have mm-hmm. are they doing enough kevin yeah i think i think the government is trying as hard as they can to foster innovation what they've done um what i've learned and i'd like to advise any aspiring entrepreneurs is you have to come and engage government as a as a as as an industry not as an individual and so 
technology entrepreneurs have been complaining for many years that the, the government's not listening to them, government's not giving them access. Um, but the reality of the world or the way Kenya works is you have to engage government either through KEPSA, CAM, or you create your own individual body. Yeah. And so... You know, you introduced me earlier as the chairman of the Digital Lenders Association of Kenya. That wasn't because I wanted to be called chairman. It was because we needed to find an institution where we could talk to Central Bank of Kenya um, as they're creating regulations for the digital lending industry. Yeah. So Alternative Circle could not go and talk to them as Alternative Circle. Tala could not go and talk to them as Tala. So we had to come with one voice and sort of say, hey, government... We, private sector in this industry, are saying we need A, B, C, D. Mm-hmm. Um, now, your question, are they listening? I think the answer is yes. Are they doing enough? I'm an entrepreneur. They'll never do enough. Mm-hmm. They could always do more. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love, though, is that we're maintaining some of the tenets of you know, the Constitution is, is we have a right to sort of put our peace in any legislation in any forum in any forum yeah mm-hmm. and that's important okay yeah. okay i like I, li- I like that and i also like the fact that um you have to be a self-starter in life you know as a general rule and if you want something to go somewhere you have to be and i think that's what you're demonstrating mm-hmm. both kevin and madoni in forming your own career path yeah mm-hmm. you don't have to follow the traditional you can do do it yourself mm-hmm. so 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 far in your careers we've all had very high highs and very low lows tell us um kevin what has been your highest high and also your lowest low um I'm an optimist by design, so I'll start with the lowest. <laughs> um, my lows are—I'll I'll split them into two. So, in uh, being an entrepreneur, you sort of take capital from investors. So the biggest low is when you have to tell the investor that you've lost their their, their capital, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then sort of now come up with a plan. Um, that happened to us in 2020 because COVID uh, sort of disrupted the whole digital lending business. Um, CRB, you know, we never longer had access to CRB. So we had to actually shut down one business last year. And, you know, dealing with everyone who you owe money, um, you know, there were some deposits we took from even families that, you know, to sort of like their savings. Um, and that was, that was not a pleasant experience. And then promising them that you'll return their money somehow um, as you work out on the plan is also not easy. And then the familial law is, as an entrepreneur is also tough because then you have to also have these very difficult conversations with your children, for example, if you have to change schools or you have to, you know, we can't go swimming as much as we used to anymore, <laughs> da da yeah. da. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's when it's really low. Um, and then perhaps this, you know, the, 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 the most difficult part of it is actually when you have to mo- make those decisions. So last year we had to move my daughter, from, for example, from the school she was into a different school. Um, and getting to that decision was a very difficult yeah. one, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've, you, 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 you know, you're asking yourself, should I continue and take a job so that I can continue affording or do I you know, stick it out in this muddle or puddle I'm in and yeah. figure it out mm-hmm. and then come out on the other end, hopefully, because, you know, it's quite uncertain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those I'll say would be the big lows, um, the major lows. The the highs, 
my highs are when I meet some of my alumni, people I've worked with, people I sort of empowered through uh, my entrepreneurship, um, doing well. Um, so um, I have colleagues who now are CEOs of various digital lending platforms, yeah. uh, microfinance institutions. Some most, uh, if you've ever worked in poly credit policy in any of my institutions you're probably quite senior now in a credit role um, so that just gives me a sense of joy there are a lot of us who also started their own businesses are doing very well and now we are now partnering as you know as equals before it was I was the owner they were the employee um, so it's a beautiful feeling meeting you know those people I worked with just moving forward and they you know thanking me for being part of their journey yeah, yeah. I would say that um, you know Kevin you're very young yeah and I think a lot of people mistake um, mistake the way that you speak. You are still a very, very young man. And and I like the honesty that you've brought to this conversation in terms of a lot of people would not be willing to admit that financially, you know, the economy, everyone is struggling and decisions such as changing a school have had to have been made, right? So you're not the only person. I also like the fact that you're saying about, um, you know, being um, people who are senior in businesses that you have been uh, a CEO in and you know you're, you were senior before and now you're working together. You're still at a very, very young age, Kevin. You can do so much more and you have so much more to go to. So I'm really encouraged by that and I think a lot of people listening will benefit from that. What yeah? does young mean though? Young means you're not 35 yet. <laughs> I can say so that. Fair. That's ages. <laughs> That's ages. But it's, it's, a it's a really good thing. Um, Madoni, tell us about yours. Um, thankfully, I've, I've had more highs than lows. Um, so to highlight one of my highs is when I was quite actually quite junior in the in Stanchart, actually, and uh, I had been asked to automate some reports. Yeah. And I did a really good job, and I was even asked to move to go over to Botswana and help them automate their, oh, nice. their reports. Okay. And mm -hmm. So reports that would take days to complete. You knew uh, how to do it. I knew how to do it, mm -hmm. and I could. They could now finish uh, preparing those reports uh, mm -hmm. in four four hours or so. What would take several days to complete. Amazing. Yeah, Amazing. I really like that mm -hmm. yeah i was and proud of that work my my lowest low is um we we moved uh, a few of us moved over to from an international organization <laughs> to a local organization and we thought that we could transform it and we did not succeed and i do not like to fail so i think that's the lowest low of my mm -hmm. career i think people failing is always a very difficult one for everyone it is. Uh, or feeling like you failed you know sometimes just the trying is the the success anyway yeah. um as an entrepreneur i'll tell her failing is so normal yeah yeah, yeah we re were rejected 99 percent of the time uh, we're only known for the one percent success so those, and those are the ones we hear about <laughs> yeah. and people don't know the, the, the failures beforehand yeah, amazing yes. okay uh, so um one thing that people would be surprised to know about you so should we start with you madani sure if you'll indulge me i'll say two things okay no worries <laughs> okay mm -hmm. so uh the first one is that i have three children and the children wow. are all five years apart so really? right now their ages are 16 11 and 6 i'm <laughs> sitting in front of mudani and you cannot tell she's the mother of a 16 year old okay yeah. amazing that's unbelievable that's unbelievable yeah <laughs> thank you i appreciate that and uh, the second thing is that i also in addition to being an employee i run an, a website called sommerleague.com and i i dreamed this uh website up about in 2018 because i watched my children and how comfortable the world they were using gadgets even before they could read they 
knew how to find their way around. Yeah. And I thought I need to get their, take their education there, otherwise <laughs> they will not be reading books. That's <laughs> amazing. So take the education to where they actually are interested in exactly. look, looking for it. Yes, take mm-hmm. it to their world and that's yeah. where their world is. And make it interesting. Make, mm-hmm. it, make them learn in a more interesting way if possible, aside okay. from just reading books. So I've created uh, somalig.com and it's a place where children can go and especially right, right now they can prepare for exams like KCP exam or KCSE exam. Amazing. There's material in there for you to prepare for your examination. Amazing. I think so many people would, would benefit from that if they don't already know about it. So yeah. that's a really good side hustle. It is. I mean, uh, education is everything and it will be the future for all of our children, including in the fintech industry. Um, so, Kevin? Um, um, well, this I don't know if it will surprise anyone, but... Uh, I love local football. I love watching the Kenya Football Premier League. Yeah. Uh, my favorite team is Madara United. Madara United. Yeah, okay. I go watch the games. Uh, Where are the games? At Kas- well, they play all over the country, but Madara United's home team, home ground, ground is uh, Kasarani. Amazing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's surprising. I always tell people, Kenyan football is this paradox of of um it's just a, it's the weirdest thing right the football quality is so good is it oh my god it's going to blow your mind i mean <laughs> last weekend friday was madare versus bandare zero zero i kid you not madare united had 15 shots on goal and some of them there's this new striker called lol so sudanese guy is 19 i mean it's the football is beautiful wow okay um but you you don't have anyone recording it, right? You you, you, you you there's no cameras. There's no there's nowhere unless you go watch it on site. There's nowhere else to access the content. Yeah. So it's um, it's one of those things that I hope we're able to solve it soon. Um, trying to figure out how to do it with my entrepreneurial. I heart. would love. I mean, local yeah. sport is first of all a, a game changer and a money maker. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, but and the quality of football has got to the point where I would not be embarrassed to take my friends who you know some, some of my you know Western friends in the UK who are Arsenal fans or Manu fans to a Madari United versus Task FC. Like I'm. Confident they will enjoy the game and they'll enjoy the atmosphere, despite how sort of um, uh, it's such a small ecosystem. How many people. how many people attend? Ah, man, unless when it's when it's gore uh, pre-COVID, maybe six thousand people mm-hmm. would come, but. Post COVID, you have maybe a hundred, yeah, hundred yeah. to hundred people. But the good thing, it's a hundred to hundred people, and you know, as soon as you, because you, you're so few, you start getting to know each other. And so, like on the Madara United side now, you know, we, you know, we don't really have a cheering squad, but there's sort of like some <laughs> camaraderie. Yeah, that's cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, local sport, it it has a huge potential in this country. And the, I mean, I wish you could watch the football. It's the goalkeeper Madara United had a save. Uh, two games ago. I mean, the guy flew over the post, you know, used his right hand. It was, I mean, there's, there's no... I mean, I was telling my friends this and no one could believe me. Yeah. It's, yeah. You have to take me, Kevin. I will. The I next game is on Sunday, Tusk FC. We're, we're there, yeah, we're there. Yeah, we're yeah, the yeah, me and Madoni are yeah. there. Madoni United, Tusk FC. Yeah, <laughs> Stadium. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to uh, talk about FinTech now, which is the purpose of our... Um, 
of the podcast today. I want um, Kevin tell us about what is. I mean, a lot of people talk of fintech, fintech, this fintech, that. What is fintech? How did you get into fintech? And what does it what does it actually represent um, as an industry in this country at the moment? Fintech is the acronym is financial technology. Um, what does it mean? Um, it basically means exactly what we were doing in finance and then moving that onto digital platforms, right? Um, and what were you doing in finance? You were making payments, you were taking loans, you were doing savings, you were insuring stuff, you were investing. So imagine all those things, opening bank all the account, products, everything. Online. Moving online. Okay. Uh, and the reason I got into fintech is because it's the industry of the future. Why? A lot of the banking systems were all legacy systems until 20, 2009, 2010. Um, and in fact, in the US, um, some of their payment rails hadn't been upgraded since the early 80s. And so if there was an ecosystem that was ready to be disrupted, it was that one. Okay. The reason a lot of those ecosystems had also stayed so long as legacies because they were super secure. Because the first thing you do in fintech is you sort out security and then now you move the other way around. Um, how did I get into fintech is, um, is a very funny story. Um, uh, I'll make it quick. I, I, I was in 2005 when I finished high school. Um, we Only 2005, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, in those days, we had two years before you could join university or you went to a private uni. I come from a very strict home, lawyers. The lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were not allowed to take six-month breaks for the sake. So you either went to school or you worked. Um, and so going to school meant I was going to do a course at um, you know, at college and then join university in June um, or two years after that. Um, and I really wanted to work. Um, I had been a huge fan of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, still am. Um, in fact, a little bit psycho about it. Um, and so I wanted to go straight to the stock exchange. I had read all these books by Ben Graham, da-da-da, and I wanted to t- you know, sort of jump in. I had already had a stock portfolio at that point. Um, in high school, you had a stock portfolio? Yeah, I had okay, a, I don't think everyone in high school has a stock no, portfolio. It's yeah. a long, another, so yeah, I've been, I've been, a, I've been I'm, when I say I've been a freak about business, um, it's, it's, been, it's been since I was maybe 11. So I started buying stocks maybe when I was 13. 14. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Anyway, so got a job at Suntra Investment Bank, did that for a year. As luck would have it, that was a year when we had all the big things happening in the stock exchange. They were moving from manual to digital. They were getting a um, custodial service that was also moving from manual to digital. We had the largest IPO at the time, Kenjin IPO. And that year we also had Kenya Re, Access Kenya, and Amumia's offer for sale on even was still the CEO. Okay. Um, I did very well there, um, and an old man uh, recognized my talent and asked me to help them manage their chama. Um, theirs wasn't really a chama, it was more of an investment holding co, they're all very wealthy individuals. So we were investing um, their cash into various assets, mostly real estate, and some of it private in private equity, what you'd call private equity today, but not really private mm-hmm. equity. Mm-hmm. Um, so you so were a broker, essentially? 
No, no, no. Um, in, in, in the first year, yes, I was a broker and I was running the Chama. I was actually the investor. Okay. So mm-hmm. we had capital and we'd look for bets and we'd take these bets. So um, this, now I worked there for five years and what I learned there was how to manage risk. Um, so I'll give you an example. Land real estate as an asset class you know people always put it as one box but it's actually segmented mm-hmm. you've got speculative real estate mm-hmm. and then you can buy companies that develop real estate so mm-hmm. you've got whole spectrum anyway after that um, one of the the uh, businesses that I was doing due diligence on was a lending company um, in fact the current CEO of uh, Pesalink is a Gituku was a gentleman. I was reviewing one of his companies, and um, I went and asked him, "Can I work for you?" Because I thought this was quite a remarkable business. At the time, I don't think he had the capital, so he said no. And so I went and decided to start one on my own. So I found a partner. Um, I didn't have enough capital, so I ended up sort of technically working with some equity for someone who had mm-hmm. a similar business. Mm-hmm. Ran that for six years, um, and we were one of the first people in lending uh, logbook loans. I don't know if you've heard of logbook no. loans. No, I, I know logbook loans. Okay. So a logbook loan is you come with your car. Oh, for cars. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. So we were one of those early players in that game. Um, then we had a technical hitch with our bank because, you know, our banks are quite uh, difficult. Um, <laughs> Um, but I don't blame them. I don't blame them. The regulation was very clear. We had somebody place a caveat emptor on the title deed that we had used as collateral for our credit line. I see. And so the bank pulled it out. So we had to scale down the business really quickly. By that time, I had already started working on a digital product. Um, and it sort of influenced me on what I was going to do next. And I had a bit more confidence in my ability so at this time i decided to be the majority so i went um went to my old network of wazes um and they gave me seed capital and we started alternative circle which then we had to close down um um, the Shika, the the lending product in 2020. Um, so yeah, that's how I mm-hmm. got into fintech. So I think, from what I'm, first of all, I'm understanding that you're very ambitious and very entrepreneurial. And secondly, I'm understanding that you under you understood uh, markets. So for example. Uh, traditional markets, real estate um, uh, lo- lending, all of that, and then took it online, and that is where the fintech aspect comes in. So when when we're talking about fintech, is it an, an industry that is assisting other traditional industries in order to migrate to progress, or is it an industry on its on on its own? Can fintech exist on its own? Some people say fintech is a verb. Modonia, I want your take on that. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things about the fourth industrial revolution that we're in right now is that the lines between industries are going to get blurry. Okay. (laughs) So I don't know if fintech qualifies as an industry in itself, but Mm -hmm. I think it does enable other industries. Mm -hmm. There is one example of industry lines becoming blurry, I think, is like an app like Glovo, which I use a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Glovo helps me order stuff from the supermarket. So the, the supermarkets together with the app, 
it, itself mm-hmm. have come together. They're collaborating to enable this customer journey where if I'm at home and I've run out of milk, it, I don't have to get myself out of the house to go find the milk. Yeah. I just go on my app and I order it. So yeah. I see a lot of collaborations like that coming along and fintechs mm-hmm. enabling mm-hmm. those kinds of collaborations all aimed at making the customer journey as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Our lives, I think, are going to become a whole lot simpler. Yeah. yeah. And I think Kenya is adopting to that very, very well. In terms of Glovo and customer experiences such as that, mm-hmm. um, it, is, it, is a, it is something that and Uber Eats, we are developing that kind of customer experience. So if you remember earlier when I said disruption, disrupt an industry, Kenya, Generation Hope, Kenya is actually one of those few countries in the world that's adopting technology faster than a lot of Western markets yeah. even. Yeah. yeah. And I think maybe even younger generations will not necessarily know that there was a traditional way of doing things. They'll just come into it um, wholeheartedly right. and just find it as it as it were, which is amazing for them. You know, us, yeah. we can still remember when we had to go and pick up uh, milk at the supermarket, buy a car or buy a taxi, you know, yeah. you know etc. Or buy my tattoo, etc. Yeah, or go to the kiosk. There were no borders yeah. even. Or if, they, or if there's no milk, there's no milk for that day. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, Humilia, as, uh, as uh, Kevin has taught us. Um, so, good, we've understood what fintech is. We understand how it's going to assist us and, and you know, aid the customer experience. Um, how does banking and fintech work together? Is there, uh, is, and you know, you, you guys are the perfect people to answer this. Are banks the enemy of fintech? Do, are banks pulling away from, from um, this revolution? Because, you know, there used to be a very, uh, there used to be an auspiciousness about entering a banking hall. There used to be, uh, you know, you're going to meet the manager, you're in the yes. formal attire, you're even very respectful, very quiet. Yeah. Now people really, the, uh, the banking um, experience has changed completely and you don't even necessarily need to know anyone. Um, everything is online. How are banks reacting to that, Madoni? And you know, Kevin, you can also jump in and tell us your experience. I want your to hear Madoni's first. Because <laughs> yeah. normally they're the bosses in the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. So, so first of all, banks, uh, I think, are really accepting that they need to collaborate more with fintechs and try to fight them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, when fintechs, a few years back when fintechs started to uh, sprout I think that we. I think a lot of banks sat back and thought we are more powerful, we are more money. You know, we, yeah. we don't need to worry about them. But they're they're a force to be reckoned with. And I think banks are starting to realize that it is so important that we collaborate more than anything with the fintechs. You see, fintechs bring um, some good things in, to the table. They have they are innovative. Uh, I'm just just listening to Kevin. I'm just thinking I'd like to work with him a bit more because yeah. he's he thinks of an idea and he quickly starts to act on it. A banker may think of an idea atypical not all bankers but the old style banker may have thought of an idea but quickly start to uh, thrash that idea and say no it can't work because of this regulation or because of this policy or because of something and yeah so a lot ideas didn't thrive um, so much in traditional banking but i think banks are changing now and i think there's a lot of opportunity for banks to collaborate with fintechs they uh, so like i said fintechs bring innovation and agility to the table and banks bring of course the banking license which is a really huge asset to have um, the banking license we also bring to the table money you know banks uh, a lot of fintechs may have fantastic ideas but may not have the money to actualize ideas and imagine that collaboration where a bank accepts the fintech's idea and we work together with a fintech to bring an excellent customer service. and and that is that that is the essence of of collaboration because you're bringing the money or at least the the the, the security of the money yes. and they're bringing the security of the other good idea uh, I kevin th- i think 
rather phrase it this way the future of financial services right is is the question we need to ask ourselves you know what does it look like and and the question then should be what role will banks play and what role will fintechs play um, because then I'd be repeating what um, Mudoni has just said um, banks are very important institutions because they, they, they play a role in society. I think we need to always remember that banks is, is sort of our custodian for our savings. Yeah, the security. Right? Yeah, um, and they, they, there's, a lot, there's a lot of trust yes. the society holds in banks. Mm-hmm. Now, the fintech side um, can never have that kind of trust with society because banks are regulated heavily. Um, and I think the future of financial services is a, a marriage of banks playing to their strengths and fintechs playing to their strengths, and then finding that way to, you know, commercialize that relationship where the, bene- the benefits accrue to both the customer and the bank and the fintech. Yeah. Um, and so, the way we are working, so. To perceive them as enemies would be foolish of fintechs, um, and I also think it would be foolish of banks to perceive us as enemies. I think banks should try to have as many fintechs joining their ecosystem as possible, because then you'll have the failures sort of dying off and the successes picking up. Yeah. And then you can know how now to allocate resources uh, from the bank perspective, because then you know banks have considerable financial resources as yeah. compared to fintechs. Yeah. The, the thing about um, bridging the gap between fintechs and banks and then individuals as well is where now lawyers come in. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you that you said very interestingly is that one of the industries, that you, one of the businesses you were working in died because of the CRB um, check and the requirement to have a CRB check. Uh, Contractually, you know, when you're engaging with a fintech or when you're engaging with a bank, people have heavily relied on what you know about your customer. Yeah. Uh, and we, as lawyers, we do that kind of work for you. We do the, 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 the diligence, mm-hmm. yeah? Um, that also needs to evolve. Are we going to find other ways of getting to know your customer that are going to go beyond uh, an, another regulator checking on um, an individual in order for us to then progress are you talking about kyc or due diligence they're, i mean they're essentially the same thing it's it's getting to know what it is that you're buying or who it is that you're investing in um know your bit know your client or due diligence on the client i'm i always sorry to interrupt you Mudoni, but i always think that it's very hard for fintech to lie right because everything we do is 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 is, is we, we collect data from databases that are public and then we exchange value on domains or interfaces or platforms that are public such as M-Pesa. So if I come to, to Mudoni and say I have 100,000 customers, it's, she just has to check Google, the Google Play Store or you know ask for a certain um, report that my system has to be able to generate yeah. it's a credible fintech mm-hmm. and to show her, yeah, I have 100,000 customers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the only challenge is that the policy still is quite paper heavy. Mm-hmm. So that's what needs to be solved. I don't think talking to the bank, if we could talk to the banks directly and the policy allowed for it, I think we would. Mm-hmm. I think the reason we don't do that now is because policy um, is still a little bit behind um, some of the technology innovations we have um, for for both sides to interact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah. There, there is a lot of importance in in as a bank uh, doing a lot of due diligence to understand the fintech that you might be wanting to uh, partner with, along with the customers they already do have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a level of comfort we need to reach, not just mm-hmm. for our own policies and procedures in the bank, but also as a regulator, because mm-hmm. central bank will still be watching over us and seeing, checking out what we're doing. Um, so. So I, I don't think we can run away from that, even the paperwork. I think for now, mm. <laughs> in the environments that we are living in, um, the paperwork is still, still critical. Key. I think for, for lawyers, it's about finding um, innovative ways or even fintech ways mm-hmm. in order to get that information to you. And one of the issues that has that has already been brought up is, for example, if you're relying on technology to, to know your client, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and then that client's ID has been stolen by someone else yeah. and they have then disrupted that person's you know id profile yeah. we're perhaps relying on someone's face identification or someone's thumbprint and the uh, throughout it's been it's been um, played with mm-hmm. then you're relying on technology for that person and there's nothing that can be changed or it can take a lot of time to change it are we are we going to be overly reliant on technology um, to get our information. Uh, let me bring in the conversation then of government when we're okay. trying to figure out a per- either a person's or a particular entity's identity. The government would really help there in mm-hmm. trying in, in just putting together a database of saying this, is a da- this database has Modoni in it and this is her full name and include biometrics that mm-hmm. can be queried mm-hmm. later by mm-hmm. anybody. And then they can even sell the service. You can sell per API call yeah. and they can make some money out of that. But you see then that becomes the central database of identity. If I want yeah. to confirm the identity of an individual and even a business, I should be able to query a, a particular government database and as far as possible use biometrics to confirm that identity. Yeah. So it becomes the Bible. The, the Bible, yeah. yeah. And I think I think we are moving more and more. I know the government has done huge things to bring even companies online, mm-hmm. uh, bring records online and yeah. they're doing the same at the, the Ministry of Lands, etc. All of those things have to be investigated because you know they're subject to corruption. Mm-hmm. But I think there is work to be done. Kevin? Yeah, I mean, technology, the word technology is always used as if it's this thing that sits outside um, the core. Um, You know, a wheelbarrow is technology, a djembe is technology. Before djembe's people were using sticks, you know. Um, So I think the point that Mudoni is trying to make is it's, it's, it's te- it's enable it's technology enabled that te- that enablement makes the provision of services to the consumer a lot easier yeah mm-hmm. and a lot cheaper mm-hmm. and that's what technology does so the syst- identity system she's just described I know I want the same thing. Why? Because it will reduce our fraudulent cases. Everyone will, will benefit. Yeah, yeah. everyone. Yeah. Banks, lawyers, bank, mm-hmm. uh, will benefit. But also the consumer, because now Jerry won't have to worry that her identity may be stolen if yes. she forgets her ID at Mercury one night. <laughs> you know, like you know, Mercury. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> it was a joke, Jerry. <laughs> I don't okay. know where you go on Friday nights. <laughs> but that's a, 
it's a, it's a clear it's we we and digital lending for example are, are the customers the biggest gripe they have with us is their child uh took their id <laughs> borrowed 2000 bob and then went on a dinking spree yeah 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 right? if yeah. we could solve that it's not just us who would benefit it's, it's also, also the, the customer yeah 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 I want to move on to 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 the interaction with the law proper, uh, and I know Madani, you know you you understand that, you know we rely on precedent in law, yeah. and for fintech we're starting from a blank sheet. Um, how are businesses? How is the banking industry reacting to this um, lack of precedent? Are they willing to take the risk? Um, so for for us to react because there's there's no precedent that has been set, it, I think it calls for two things. Um, one is that all players, lawyers, bankers, um, fintechs, I think, already do this, but they had to have an experimental mindset. Yeah. So that when you're getting into something, in, typically when we're getting into something, we want to be 100% sure that the thing will work. Um, if you're t- t- trying to b- build a business case for a thing, you know, <laughs> something that you want to do, you're really working hard to project volumes and values, but you, you truly cannot. A lot mm-hmm. of things should be handled like experiments. Uh, let's, let's kind of see. We can set some goals for the experiment and say within three months, perhaps, should be at this level and measure ourselves against that but the idea is coming with an experiment experimental mi- mindset knowing that it may or may not work yeah uh, and so as head, as head of innovation you have that scope and do you have an innovation hub how are you um taking that risk on on potential um investments it's a journey and we are i think we, i would say we're in the beginning of the journey for that okay. because mm-hmm. it's it's changing mindsets is not um it's not an overnight thing you can, you so you're in the convincing it. business at the yes. moment we are truly in the convincing business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the second thing also is also to have um, intellectual honesty. What I mean by that is, mm-hmm. you know, you may go into something and you really want to prove it right. Like, let's say I initiated yeah. something and I want to go there and prove that it is right and yeah. yet it is not working. Yeah. It is yeah. failing. So I should have the int- intellectual honesty to say, okay, I really thought it would work. But it's truly, not, it's but not, it's not going working. To, mm-hmm. And these are the reasons. And it's important mm-hmm. to document reasons why it is not working and have some type of lessons learned so that the next thing, next time you're trying to go into a venture, you have learned lessons and you won't repeat the mistakes that you had. And I have a great example about intellectual honesty. I I just spoke about our field product last time. One of the challenges we realized, we, we designed a product thinking that the customers will love it, the banks would love it. Yeah. But we didn't talk to the banks. We only talked to the customers. And by the time we were getting to the banks, they were just like, hmm, you know, have you thought about this? How are we going to interact with the, you know, central bank? You know, who who, who owns what? Uh, da, da, da. And so my new venture this time, the first person I hired, or my first sort of big um, uh, onboarding in terms of yeah, resources in, yeah. was mm-hmm. a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Because any product we're going to have from now on as a fintech, we need to make sure that by law, you know, CBK Act, Data Protection Act 2019, the MFI Act, um, insurance regulations, you know, it complies to each one of those things so that when we go talk to them this time, you know, we've talked to both the customer and the bank. So that if there's something that's not in existence, have recommendations. Exactly. Because that's what we didn't have mm-hmm. last time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what sort of took very long um, to finalize on. on and I think I think a good lawyer will, will not just say this is the law and this is it. Yes. They will say this is what we can do and this is where we can suggest changes in order for it to work yes. for you. Yes. 
Yeah. Great. Talking of the regulator, you've talked about the CBK. Um, you know, if you if you're starting a new business venture in this country, especially in the fintech space, you'll be interacting with this central bank not only, but the communications authority as well, uh, even perhaps the competition authority. Uh, do you need your own fintech regulator? Is that something that you're pushing for? Ooh, that's a tough one. I don't know if I'm, I'm allowed to comment. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put this statement as uh, I'll wear my chairman of digital lending right now. The reality is we are already at an advanced stage of regulation being drafted at the central bank um, and going through parliament. So we've got uh, CBK amendment bill. Uh, 2021 in in play right now and the committee has just finalized and we hope hopefully when they open the session it will be one of the first bills being debated okay uh, what, what's it called the cbk amendment bill so it, that includes a, a, a proposition for a fintech regulator it was put out to actually regulate digital lenders digital lenders okay. and then mm-hmm. what we've all done as stakeholders of the industry is try to figure out how can it encompass more than than digital lending yeah. okay because what's ending what we want to do for example with at alternative circles with our new product we're launching on feb 26th is we want to be able to offer an array of or financial solutions to our customer base without having to be a bank. Okay. So this regulation will sort of dictate the way that relationship okay. should be structured, mm-hmm. managed, and, you know, ETC, ETC, ETC. Okay. And so that's what we are pushing for. In a perfect world, um, you would want something similar to what's happening in China or, you know, Singapore, where you have full fintech uh, sections in, in the financial ecosystem yeah. that manages us only. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Because we are different animal. We're new, we're young, we don't even know some of the consequences of our actions. Um, and so some light touch regulation, um, but then, you know, sort of a very specific unit would be the better mm-hmm. solution. Kevin, why do I see you being the head of this regulator in two years' time? I don't, but I'm an entrepreneur. So you I, would not? No, mm-hmm. I've never, ever, 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 mm-hmm. ever. Wow, okay. First That's a strong no. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, I was going to talk to you about the CMA, sand, the fintech sandbox that they've created. Um, uh, how is that um, process being managed? Is it going well? Uh, is innovation being um, allowed to, to, to play in this sandbox? What are you hearing about it? I mean, it was a very good sign. It was a very uh, innovative thing for the CMA to do that. Um, I have not interacted with the CMA sandbox uh, too much because um, lending sort of always fell under the purview of the central bank yeah. and we were always from the beginning uh, when we started our business we wanted to work with banks mm-hmm. um, and so and I'll give you the very simple reason uh, CBK can print money <laughs> right so you sort of want to be sitting in that ecosystem um, first and then move into the others mm-hmm. later. Um, fintech will very likely be a highly regulated industry at some point um, because of the, the nature we deal with people's data, we deal with money, we deal with payments. Um, and so it's. I just felt, I, personally, I feel it's, a, it's, it's the CBK for the kind of stuff we do is more 
prepared or more better well structured for what we want to do yeah um the, the other question i wanted to ask is on fintech companies there is a danger that they can become monopolies in themselves the heavy reliance by a customer on on, on a particular type of company for example an uber eats a glovo um can make it a monopoly in that in that sector um are you looking at regulation to um control that or what what should we be thinking you know, I, I think for a fintech to become a monopoly, it means that it's offering a service really well. That's how it has become yeah. a monopoly. Good problem right? to have. In fact, I always wonder why people are fighting this. You want more fintechs because, to be monopolies. Because of the, the potential for abuse of that monopoly. But, but that's the point. Let us get to that stage mm-hmm. and then let's start having the conversation. Then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what's going to happen is we're going to over-design uh, for the monopoly, yet we do not know what the monopoly would look like. So mm-hmm. you're you're sort of stifling innovation before it's been innovated. <laughs> right? And as an entrepreneur, you're sort of taking away my potential by yeah. saying, "Do not be a monopoly." Why not? Yeah. That's the objective of capitalism. Actually, you know that that's a very good point because in in the traditional sense, um, uh, everyone is afraid of a, a monopoly. Everyone is afraid of abuse of dominance. Maybe in it won't matter in twenty you know twenty five. You know what what is a monopoly. But I also think that, that the likelihood of, of it becoming a monopoly is slim, of a fintech becoming a monopoly is slim. For this reason, that technology is democratized. So a huge company and a small individual even, or a small micro company can be competing in the same space. And so, and the other thing also is that customers are uh, picky. So <laughs> in the sense that if I'm not happy with company A, I'll quickly switch over to company B because yeah. there's so many companies that are doing. As an entrepreneur, I'm going to, I want to, like the, the product we're building, and then I actually disagree with Modoni, uh, fintech will actually be a monopoly and we will be the first. But the reality is to be a monopoly, you can't, you know, you sort of have to take many people with you mm-hmm. first and then you become a monopoly. At that point, we then have another conversation as a business. How do we manage being in the dominant position? And then that's probably an, that's when another conversation with the regulator is likely to be had, where now we say, okay, you have all these customers, you you know, you're 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 a point of failure in the economy. If this happens, we need to figure out another way for you to do A, B, C, D. And right now we have a very good example, Safaricom. Yeah. Right. M-Pesa is 99% of mobile money transaction. 40% of our GDP runs through M-Pesa. That's a single point of failure for the economy, whether we like to admit it or not. Yeah. yeah. But Safaricom is not a bad business. They're not bad people sitting in Safaricom scheming to take over the world. I think the conversation we need to have now is, do we do what the US did and say 21% payments market share cap for payments? Yeah. If that's then what we agree, how do we get the other payment service providers to grow, to become as, you know, to own at least 21% market share. Mm -hmm. And what role will Safaricom play in that? Mm -hmm. That's the conversation we need to start having. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because Safaricom, because they have cash, can do what Facebook did, invest in WhatsApp, invest in Instagram, build these other social media platforms Mm -hmm. from within. Mm-hmm. Right, and and I think that's what I'm trying to get at. That this conversation of monopolies, um, is a, I sound like a bit communistic in the sense that <laughs> we, let's kill them before they're monopolies. No, mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. get the monopoly because it's a good thing for society, for the country, for people, yeah. and then solve the problems that are there. Then, 
It'll be very interesting to hear from our, our listeners on their view of of this communistic approach because I'm am t- telling you that the underdog may not feel the same I way. I am as the it. underdog, and I'm telling you, <laughs> right? To tell me that I cannot aspire to build a monopoly mm-hmm. is, is then I will move to Canada. Mm-hmm. Right, because then what's the point? Right, mm-hmm. what's the point of an entrepreneurial pursuit if I can't be number one? Yeah. Okay. When you raise that point on the payment system failures, you know it, that is an important consideration even for regulators. Yeah. Just to make sure that there's not no single point of failure. Um, but I think also there's a danger of over-regulating. Just yes. like you say, you, mm-hmm. you, know, you are, these are entrepreneurs. They, they have great ideas. You, you you don't want to be too proactive in regulating them, but watch them carefully. I think that's mm-hmm. a, that's that's, the, that's a lesson. Yeah. And and people should not talk for underdogs. Underdogs know exactly what they want. No, no, no. People should talk about what they want. They can talk if they want to. It's no, just that, sense it's that, just that they, not, their views not, need to be represented. I think my point is if you're not in the market playing the game, mm-hmm. do not assume what we want as the market players. Because mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of the debates um, around fintech always seems to happen with non-fintech players. And I always find it, okay, <laughs> how are you giving an opinion yet you don't know the challenges? You don't yeah. know. Yeah, you've not walked in the shoes. You've not yeah. walked in our shoes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like, and I, I know I'm ranting, but it's like, <laughs> as a digital lenders, one of our biggest customers, um, the, I mean, regulators and outsiders are like, you're giving too many betters money, right? You're always lending to these guys who bet. And I always ask them, why would I lend to somebody who bets, right? If I'm certain they're going to lose my money. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. the house always wins yeah. in betting. That means if I lend to a thousand guys, 500 plus one are going to lose money. Yeah. So it's stupid for a lender to lend, right? But then it seems very logical if you're sitting outside that yeah, you know, we're make from the winners, we're making money from that 49 money, you know. Okay, yeah. that's what that's what they So they so assume. those are so that's what I mean, mm-hmm. right? We need to have very open and relevant conversations um, with the and, and I think that's what we want to do. We want to understand um, where everyone is coming from. You know, you're the underdog, Madoni is the bank. So this is a perfect forum for that. Just one more point then on Go the ahead, fintech Madani. regulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that where fintech should be regulated more, and I th- it's good to hear the country, our, at least Kenya is working on it, is in terms of consumer protection. Mm-hmm. Um, th- it's, it's just important there should be some regulation around even lend- lending to consumers. Who, who are they lending? to how do they collect that kind of thing so in terms of protecting the consumer i am pro uh, regulation yeah in fintechs yeah. and but i think if, if, if you don't do that then your business will surely fail because you're it's a customer driven business it's it for customers yeah and the most um successful uh, fintechs in 2020 were payment fintechs mm-hmm. yeah so that is where you and that's where people want to interact really to yeah. make their lives easier true true yeah mm. So I want to move on to talking about 2021. Yeah, COVID, we're seeing a vaccine. We're seeing a potential end to this. Uh, Moremi told us April is the earliest that we could expect to be out of the woods. Um, what do you see as the, the major fintech drives in 2021? Um, that's a good question. The... One, I, I, I think fintech, COVID will not be done by April. The 2008 crisis, for example, prices in, in housing recovered in 2011, mm-hmm. right? And so 
the the it's like an accident i always tell guys if you've ever been in an accident the impact is when everyone sees the pain but if you've ever been in an accident you know claiming the insurance moving the car hospital bills is usually the real pain and then you sort of finish and so march 2020 was a major accident and i think it's going to take between you know 18 to four, 18 months to 4 years um, before we sort of recovered fully and getting to pre covid times um, now that's the best thing that ever happened to fintech because what's happening is everyone's strategy now has moved to efficiency uh, cutting out fat resiliency etc 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 and there's no one who's better at that than a fintech exactly right mm-hmm. so we are poised to one create the most value we potentially could have created ever going forward and i think the institutions like the banks and the regulators are waking up to the fact that um we are not their enemies actually we could extract more value if we work together yeah yeah, yeah. and i think and i think everyone is seeing that the benefits of working together um you know, in in general, not even in in the banking and fintech industry, but everyone will have to synergize um, mm. going forward. Um, I want to talk about Madoni. I want to give you room to talk about innovation in your space, because really, what you, what you need to to demonstrate is uh, that you're giving people room to grow and to give their ideas and have intellectual. Is it intellectual honesty, honesty right? Yes. Yeah. How how do you do that? How can young people and you know, Kevin, you can even chip chip in here. How can young people with good ideas uh, but no capital um, yeah. come to you and say, Madoni, uh, I, I have this idea please listen to me okay um so uh, first advice on the idea is it's when you're when you're thinking through the idea that you might have is to see whether that idea is meeting an unmet need for a customer or for a particular segment of a customer and then assess is that segment big enough for for it to produce any value for both the customer and also the the bank and then when you are when you find that need that is either unmet or that is not being adequately met then you, you, you your idea needs to meet that need in the best way possible mm-hmm. ideally taking advantage of technology mm-hmm. and so those are the ideas that i myself would pay attention to uh, what is the need that you're meeting uh, what is how is it presently being met and what's the problem with how that need is being met um kevin how did you do it um i think the Selling fintech, whenever you start a fintech, you, you need three divisions. You need sales, you need legal, and then you need the tech, the product itself. So um, when you're mapping out your sales strategy, you need to be aware that places like banks and insurance companies have like six to 12 month sales cycles. So even before your product is cooked, I always advise customers, um, fintechs, to start talking to banks. Um, and so, like, the product we have been working on for the last sort of eight, nine months, you know, we've been talking to different banks and insurance companies, um, selling the benefits of it, uh, what we're thinking, how we're thinking, why we're thinking the way we're thinking. Um, and 
I now then use the network you've talked about to start talking about, in, to, to sort of put it in front of them. What that does um, because of that network is that you sort of jump the line in a sense um, because you have the credibility, because you now have the credibility to execute, you have the credibility to deliver profitability. Because at, at the end of the day, all Mudoni wants to know is, are you adding more profit to my bottom line. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so having that, uh, uh, what do you call it? Precedence, as you league lawyers call it, um, <laughs> is important. Um, but one, one thing fintech owners, anyone in fintech needs to know, it takes about 12 months mm-hmm. to sell to a bank. And the best time to start selling is in quarter four because they're going into strategy, they're That's going right. into board, <laughs> right? So you want to cut, so you go to the problem owner. Mm-hmm. So like Mudoni is head of Innovation. innovations. Mm-hmm. So first, in by September, you should know Mudoni's all Mudoni's problems, mm-hmm. right? Because when she goes to present to her to her line manager or board rep, she's going to say these are the problems I want us to solve strategically for the next X amount of years. Okay. And if you're not aligned with Mudoni um, as head of innovation with your innovation, then you will not get work from her. And so I think. Yeah, that's so that's my strategy, and that's how I've sort of kept stayed in the game. I mean, that's so one, that's wonderful advice for anyone who's listening. So thank you very much, Kevin, yeah. for that. Okay, so that's let's a trade secret. <laughs> <laughs> let's finish with um, the word for 2021. Mudoni, um, what's your word? And I hope it's encouraging for the people <laughs> listening. No, it is certainly encouraging. If we look at what COVID has done to the market, even people who are not, um, they hadn't embraced digital technology, you know, people who wouldn't do mobile banking, for example. Yeah. COVID told, you know, it, it got them to pay attention to um, pay, doing transactions on digital channels because first there was lockdown, so you can't move around so much. And then even when you do move around, you don't touch the things cash, that, they yeah. are, that mm-hmm. other people have been touching. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, a lot more people than before are embracing technology and they're eager. I think, I think customers are eager to see what more technology can do for them. I think there's a whole lot of opportunity um, for fintechs, for banks, for any industry actually to innovate uh, using technology. So is your word opportunity? Yes, I guess my word would be there's a lot of opportunity out there. Okay. We are, yeah, we're living in interesting times right now. There's, there's never been a better time, I think, to mm-hmm. start a business. Mm-hmm. And Kevin, your word for exactly 2021? Exactly what Mudoni has said. Um, if there was a time to be black, to be African, to be Kenyan, to be a woman, to be whatever, it is now in Nairobi, mm-hmm. right? And the reason for that is everything, how do I put it? That generation, Hope I was talking about earlier, we are now so many Kenyans. And when I mean, you know, the, with the definition of Kenyan I described earlier, there are many of us who are thinking long term. There are many of us who want the best for the country, the best for the um, ecosystem. Um, and so my thing, my takeaway would be, if you're thinking about starting the next big idea i think if there was ever time this is it if you want to start a car company everything from a car company (laughs) to a fintech to telco it's going to be hard 
but it can be done. I think, yeah, take the risk. Take, take the, the risk, risk now. People take the risk now. Yeah. I love that. And I, and I love the fact that you this hashtag Generation Hope and disruption and um, etc. is really for the future. Yeah, there's nothing more but the future. And, and I think that's a great um, way for us to stop. Let's look forward to the future. And I want to thank you so much, Kevin Mudoni. You've been such brilliant guests. It's been a pleasure. It's and, been a pleasure. Um, yeah, for everyone. Get business this- from equity now. <laughs> I hope I get business from equity now. Thank you so much and um, see you guys in March.